see everybody. Uh, welcome to Haynes Creek. My name is Travis. I'm the pastor here. If it is your first time, I just want to say a special welcome to you. We are so thrilled, so excited you're here worshiping with us, checking things out, and I would love a chance just to reach out and follow up with you. Uh, so you do me a huge favor and just let me know that you're here. You can do that uh, a couple different ways. One, you just uh, text the word welcome uh, to that number that you see on the screen. Just text welcome to that number. That's all you got to do. Uh, or if you prefer, we have welcome cards out here at our welcome desk right as you go out of the gym doors. There's a table right there on your right. We've got little cards there. You just fill that out, leave that card right there on the table. And like I said, that gives me a chance to, to just follow up with you, give you a phone call, send you an email, and say thank you so much for your visit. So if you do me that favor, I would really appreciate that. And uh, we're going to continue on in our series going verse by verse through the book of Acts. So today... Uh, we're going to be hanging out in chapter 14, so we're going to go through Acts chapter 14. If you have your Bibles, you can go ahead and start turning there. If you don't, that's all good. We'll have the verses on the screen right here. We also have Bibles at our table out there. If you don't own one, feel free to grab one of those. Uh, we'd love to gift that to you. So Acts chapter 14, and we're going to finish out Paul's first missionary journey. So it began in Acts 13, and now we're going to finish it here in Acts chapter 14. So as you're turning there, I want you to think about uh, how you respond when things don't go according to plan. When, when things get tough, when things get hard, what's our response? How do we respond in those moments when life gets difficult, right? Because things are not always easy. Things do not always go according to plan, right? So how do we respond in those moments? Do we, do we continue on? Do we persevere? Do we push through and keep going? Or do we give up and like, no, nope, it's too hard, I'm moving on to something else? I think if we're honest, it probably depends on the situation, right? It probably depends on how much we care about that thing, how into it are, how invested we are into that. I mean, you think of, of little things in life that you try to do. As soon as you hit opposition, you might go, oh, you know what, I'm out. I remember in high school, I was dead set on learning how to play the guitar. So set on that, I was like, I, I'm going to do this. So I had a buddy of mine who was so gifted and so talented musically. He's like, man, I'll teach you. I was like, oh, thank you so much. Go over to his house one night, pulls out a guitar. He hits a chord. I don't even know what it was. C, D, F, H. I don't even know. I don't even know. He played that. He's like, you hear that? I'm like, yeah, yeah, I hear it. He plays another one, maybe like a G chord or a, an X chord. I don't really know. He's like, you hear that? I'm like, yeah, I hear that. He's like, you hear the difference? I'm like, no, they sound the exact same. And I, at that moment, I was like, I'm out. I'm out. I'm going home. I'll call you later. I just, I knew I couldn't do it. And then there's other times where, like, I've gone on a mission trip. How many of you guys have gone on a mission trip? Like, I've, I've been to Honduras and Guatemala. And every time I've come back from those places, I'm like, man, I'm going to learn Spanish. I'm going to learn Spanish. And I try, lasts about a couple of days. I'm like, nope, too hard. I'm out. I'm done. Not going to do it. So clearly, I don't know how to play guitar, and I don't know how to speak Spanish. And there's a long list of things that I've tried where I'm like, I'm going to do this. And then it gets hard, and you're like, no, never mind. I'm out, right? So there's these little things in life where we, we're not so invested. We don't care as much. We don't we don't push through. And then there's other things. That's probably not good. Probably not good. I'll pray for that iPad that it still works when we're done with this. Um, that's, is that you, Johnny? Is that yours? Not, not Johnny's. All right. Sorry about that, Alex. So you're, we'll, we'll pray for it. I'll lay hands on it, maybe, you know. But there's other things that we, we deeply care about. Like maybe it's, it's with our jobs or with our family. And when, even when opposition comes, right, we're going we're to push through. We're going to persevere. Well, in Acts 14, we see things constantly get difficult for Paul and Barnabas, right? We've already seen in Acts 13, it, it hasn't gone exactly according to plan. It hasn't exactly been smooth sailing. Well, it's going to get even harder in Acts 14. I think we can learn a lot 
from how they respond in these difficult moments. So uh, again, Acts chapter 14, um, just, just a recap as to where we were last week. I think, you guys, we have that map from last week, if we can put it on the screen, just to give us an idea of where they were. I know it's been a couple of weeks, uh, and where we're going to see them go this week. So we saw last week, they set out from the church in Antioch. They went to the port city, Seleucia right there. They sailed to the island of Cyprus. We saw them minister in the, the cities of Salamis and Paphos. We saw in Paphos where, where they actually shared the gospel with the governor of Cyprus. And we saw them kind of battle it out spiritually with that magician, Bar Jesus, there. That was crazy. And then they sailed to the port city in Perga. That, that's modern day Turkey that you're seeing right there. They travel all the way up north. You see up there at the top of the map. Antioch and Pisidia. So we saw them there. We, we saw a lot of, of Paul's ministry in Antioch where we saw a whole sermon that he preached in the synagogue. We saw people respond, but we also saw opposition, right? And we saw at the end of Acts chapter 14, they were done in Antioch and Pisidia and they were going to travel to Iconium. And that's about a 90-mile journey from Antioch and Pisidia down to Iconium. And that's where we pick up here in Acts chapter 14. So it begins in Acts chapter 14, verse 1. Now at Iconium, they entered together into the Jewish synagogue and spoke in such a way that a great number of both Jews and Greeks believed. But the unbelieving Jews stirred up the Gentiles and poisoned their minds. That, that word for minds is the same word that we often see translated for souls. This is more than just them convincing and giving some good arguments where they're like, oh, you know what, maybe I'll rethink this. No, this is a spiritual battle. They are coming for these new believers. They poisoned their mind against the brothers, against Paul and Barnabas. Verse 3, so they remained for a long time, speaking boldly for the Lord who bore witness to the word of his grace, granting signs and wonders to be done by their hands. But the people of the city were divided. Some sided with the Jews and some with the apostles. When an attempt was made by both Gentiles and Jews with their rulers to mistreat them and to stone them, they learned of it and fled to Lystra and Derbe, cities of Lyconia and the surrounding country. And there they continued to preach the gospel, all right? So they're moving on from Iconium down to Lystra, which is about an 18, 20-mile trip there. Now, at Lystra, there was a man sitting who could not use his feet, and he was crippled from birth and had never walked. Verse 9, he listened to Paul speaking, and Paul, looking intently at him and seeing that he had faith to be made well, said in a loud voice, stand upright on your feet, and he sprang up and began walking. And when the crowd saw that Paul, what Paul had done, they lifted up their voices, saying in Lyconian, the gods have come down to us in the likeness of men. Barnabas they called Zeus and Paul Hermes because he was, a chief, he was the chief speaker. And the priest of Zeus, whose temple was at the entrance to the city, brought oxen and garlands to the gates and wanted to offer sacrifice with the crowds. But when the apostles Barnabas and Paul heard of it, they tore their garments and rushed out into the crowd, crying out, men, why are you doing these things? We also are men of like nature with you, and we bring you good news that you should turn from these vain things to a living God who made the heaven and the earth and the sea and all that is in them. In past generations, he allowed all the nations to walk in their own ways. Yet he did not leave himself without witness, for he did good by giving you rains from heaven and fruitful seasons, satisfying your hearts with food and gladness." Even with these words, they scarcely restrain the people from offering sacrifice to them. Okay, so pause just one couple of things here to note. Lystra uh, is, is more a rural city, kind of out in the sticks a little bit. So uh, it's less metropolitan than Iconium or Antioch and Pisidia, so just keep that in mind. And when Paul does this miracle, they, they associate Paul and Barnabas with the gods that they worship, with the Greek god Zeus, the Greek god 
Hermes and they want to make a sacrifice. They're talking in their, their native language, Lyconian. So it takes Paul and Barnabas a minute to figure out what's going on. Once they do, they're like, no, 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 stop. What are you doing? This is crazy. Don't do this. We're, we're, we're not gods. We're just, we're just regular people. We're just dudes. And they, he preaches a sermon about leaving the, the vain things. That word vain means empty and useless. And that's exactly what false idols are. False gods, they're fake. They're not real. They're useless and empty. He says, turn from that to the, to the living God who made everything you see. It's not, these, it's, not, it's not Zeus, it's not Hermes. No, it's the living God who made all of this, who gives you rain, who gives you harvest and food. He's done all of this for you to call you to himself. And even with that, they barely stop him from making a sacrifice. Verse 19, but Jews came from Antioch and Iconium. Some, keep that in mind, they're, they're traveling over 100 miles, some of them, just to come here and get in Paul's face here and oppose him. So they come from Antioch and Iconium. Having persuaded the crowds, they stoned Paul and dragged him out of the city, supposing that he was dead. So they, they planned to stone him in Iconium. Paul and Barnabas got out of there. Well, now they follow through with that plan. They stone him, leave him for dead. But verse 20, but when the disciples gathered around him, he rose up and entered the city. And on the next day, he went on with Barnabas to Derby. So they stone him, think he's dead. Nope, not dead. He gets back up and goes right back into the city, which is just crazy because I would have been running the opposite direction if that was me. But Paul gets up, goes right back into the city, and the next day they go on to Derby, another city in the area. It's about a 60-mile journey from there to Derby. Verse 21, when they had preached the gospel to that city and had made many disciples, they returned to Lystra, to Iconium, and to Antioch, strengthening the souls of the disciples, encouraging them to continue in the faith, and saying that through many tribulations, we must enter the kingdom of God. And when they had appointed elders for them in every church with prayer and fasting, they committed them to the Lord in whom they had believed. Verse 24, then they passed through Pisidia and came to Pamphylia. And when they had spoken the word in Perga, they went down to Italia, and from there they sailed to Antioch, where they had been commended to the grace of God for the work that they had fulfilled. And when they arrived and gathered the church together, they declared all that God had done with them and how he had opened a door of faith to the Gentiles, and they remained at no little time with the disciples. Okay, so that concludes Paul's first missionary journey. Can we put that map up there? Yeah, thanks. So they, they went from Antioch down to Iconium, then they went down to Lystra, and then they went over to Derby. And when they were done in Derby, they, they went right back the same way they came. They went back to these cities in Lystra. They went back to Iconium. They went back to Antioch. And keep in mind, when they're going back into these cities, those people that oppose them, they're still there. Those people who don't like Paul and Barnabas, they're still there. And yet Paul continues to go back and encourages and strengthens the disciples. And they make their way back down to the port cities. They preach the gospel there and then sail back to Antioch, which would have been about a, a 300 or so miles by boat to go from Italia, that port city, back over to Seleucia and Antioch. And they make their way back home. So what can we learn here from Acts chapter 14 and the conclusion of his first missionary journey? Well, as I begin thinking and praying over this passage, the one thing that stood out to me was Paul's perseverance. How no matter what happened, no matter what opposition came, no matter them planning to stone him, no matter them actually stoning him, no matter the, the people traveling 100 miles to come and still oppose him and cause problems, no matter what opposition he faces, what do he do? He continued on. He persevered. He kept going. He stays the course. He kept following Jesus. He kept preaching the gospel. And Paul's not the only one who needed endurance, who needed perseverance in following Jesus. We need that today as well. 
if we're going to follow Jesus in this life, if we're going to continue with him, we're going to stay with Jesus, we need endurance. We need perseverance. Following Jesus requires and demands perseverance. We need perseverance. We're going to face difficulty and hardship. We're going to face opposition all the time. How are we going to respond in that moment? Are we going to respond the way that I did trying to learn an instrument or trying to learn a new language? And be like, oh, never mind, too hard, I'm out. Too, I, Jesus, I know, I know you promised good things, but I'm out. It's too hard. Are we going to give up? Are we going to go back to our old way of living? Or are we going to persevere? Are we going to continue? Are we going to stay with Jesus? If we are, then, then it's going to require perseverance. And that's what we see here in Acts chapter 14. Look again at verse 22. This is going to be our main verse that we're going to focus in on today. Because this is what Paul did. He preached the gospel. People got saved. Disciples were made. And then what did he do? He continued his ministry by, by encouraging and strengthening the church with these words. Verse 22, strengthening the souls of the disciples, encouraging them to continue in the faith. And saying that through many tribulations, we must enter the kingdom of God. If you, if you underline or highlight things in your Bible, I want you to circle or underline or whatever those words to continue in the faith. Continue. That word for continue is the Greek word emeno. Emeno. It means to exactly that, to continue, to persist in, to persevere, to stay with something no matter what comes. And that's what Paul is calling the disciples, and what, what he's calling us to today is stay with Jesus. Continue in the faith. No matter what opposition comes, let's persevere. Let's endure it. Let's stay strong and stay the course. So three things that we learn about perseverance from Paul here in Acts chapter 14. If you're taking notes, the first point, perseverance requires strength. Perseverance requires strength. Requires strength. Going back to verse 22, what's the first thing it says they did? They strengthened the souls of the disciples. They strengthened the souls of the disciples. Perseverance requires strength. Now, this idea of strengthening the church or strengthening disciples is common in Acts. I mean, we're going to see this a couple of times in the next couple of chapters. And in 1532, it's said that, that Silas and Judas, these ministers in the, the church of Antioch, were there to strengthen the church in Antioch. Uh, Acts 15.41, Paul tells us about his plans for his next missionary journey. He says that his plan is to go and strengthen the churches in Galatia, strengthen these churches that he just visited. In 16.5, we're told that Paul and Silas, as they go out, what are they doing? They're strengthening the churches. Now, why is that? Why is that? Why, why, why is he strengthening the churches? Why does he, he come back to encourage them and, and, and to help make them strong? Well, it's because if we're going to persevere in anything, we got to be strong, right? Like, what's the advice that we give when somebody's like, man, I'm going through a hard time. I don't know if I can do this. What do we tell them? Stay strong. Stay strong. Keep going. Stay strong. If we're going to persevere in anything, if we're going to endure in anything, this includes our relationship with Jesus, we've got to stay strong. We've got to be strong. We've got to be strong in the faith. And then when I say that, what we, we tend to think when somebody says, hey, Travis, stay strong. You got this. Keep going. Well, what we tend to think is, is I have to be strong. I have to be strong, and I have to rely on my own strength to do this. And so often we bring that mindset into our Christian walk where it's like, oh, I got to be strong. Well, that, that requires me to be strong. It's on me to do this. I got to rely on my strength. That's not, that's not at all what Scripture tells us. 
When it talks about being strong, it's not saying, hey, Travis, you be strong. What it tells us is, hey, God is strong, and you need to rely on his strength. This is what Paul writes in in Ephesians 6, 10. It says, finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Whose might? I didn't didn't hear y'all. What? Whose might? Whose might? His might. Not our own. Not our own strength. God's strength. And if you remember anything about Ephesians chapter 6, this is where Paul starts to get into, hey, you're going to be attacked spiritually, and here's how you fight that off. You put on the armor of God. What's the first step in putting on the armor of God? It's relying on his strength. Relying on his might, not our own. How do we do that? How do we draw strength from the Lord? How do we rely on his strength? Simple, real easy. We get close to him. We get close to Jesus. We spend time with Jesus. The closer we are to him, the more time we spend with Jesus, the more strength we're going to get, the stronger we're going to be. And it's not going to be my strength. It's going to be me relying on his strength. We spend time with Jesus. This is what the Bible talks about when, when it says that we're to have fellowship with Jesus or communion with Jesus. It's this close and active relationship with him. We're enjoying time and spending time, lots of time, good quality time with Jesus. We need that in this life. If we're going to persevere, if we're going to be strong, we have to draw close to Jesus. And we do this through what what theologians throughout the years have called the the means of grace. The means of grace. The means of grace is is just a, a phrase that talks about there's these, these avenues, these opportunities that God gives us in his grace to allow us to draw close to him. Another word for it is spiritual disciplines, if you've heard of that. Spiritual discipline sounds more like, like homework or like a chore. I, don't, I was never one for homework. That's not how I rolled in school. Uh, so I don't really like, I like means of grace sounds, sounds nicer to me. So I, I like means of grace as a, as a word for that, but same, same idea. Now, what are some of these means of grace? What are some of these spiritual disciplines that we can do, that we can practice, that we can, we can have to draw close to Jesus? One of the biggest ones is right here, your Bible. If we're gonna draw close to Jesus, it has to come through his word. It has to come through spending time in his word, digging deep into his word. We, I'd say this all the time, but we cannot rely on a verse a day keeps the devil away. That's not how it works. That's not how it works. We have to dig deep into scripture. Like I, I, I say that knowing full well that, that that does take a little bit of work. It does take a little bit of effort on our part. Maybe some of y'all are walking through one of those Bible reading plans and you're in some of those hard parts of the Old Testament where you read a couple of chapters and you're like, I got nothing. I have no idea what that's saying. I, I mean, you don't have to raise your hands, but how many of us have been in that situation? I've been in that situation. I'm like, I don't, what, I, what, what is this doing here? What am I supposed to get from this? So yes, it does take a little bit of effort. It takes a little bit of work sometimes, but I promise you, I promise you when we dig deep into scripture, we don't just merely read it. We read it deeply. We study it. We dig into it. We, we rightly interpret it. We rightly understand it. And then we rightly apply it to our lives. Man, the word of God becomes alive. And we draw all the more closer, and we want to read it, and we want to dig deeper. We want to keep going. This is the, one of the most important and vital ways that we can draw close to Jesus. It's through his word. 
That's why he gave it to us. He gave it to us so that we can learn about who he is, what he's done for us, and what he wants us to do with our lives. He speaks through his word. So dig deep into it. And look, if you're, if you're at that place, you're like, man, I, I, Travis, I hear you, but I read scripture and I'm like, I don't even know how to make sense of this. I don't even know what to do. Like, I, let me know. I want to help you. I want to come alongside you and help you give you the tools to be able to read scripture and understand it and apply it to your lives. This is what it's meant to do. So if you're stuck, don't stay stuck. There's, there's help out there. I'm telling you right now, I, I want to come and help you. All right, let me know. If that's you, if you're like, man, I read certain parts of scripture, and I'm like, I don't even know what that means or what that's saying. If you've ever been there, if you ever feel that way, let me know. I'd love to help you out. All right, this is so important. This is what Psalm 1, 1 through 3 says about scripture and studying it and, and living in it. It says, blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers, but his delight is in the law of the Lord. When you see that phrase in scripture, this is what it's talking about. The law of the Lord is your Bible. It's the word of God. We are to delight in the word of God, delights in the law of the Lord, and on his law, he meditates day and night. That means he, he saturates in it. He hangs out and he marinates in the word of God, spends time thinking about it, deeply thinking about it, and letting it affect our lives. That's what it means to meditate on scripture. He is like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in its season and its leaf does not wither. In all that he does, he prospers. That's the kind of life we want to live. We want to live a close life, active relationship with Jesus. We got to spend time in his word. Got to spend time in his word. Another means of grace that, that he gives us is prayer. Prayer, this is such an incredible gift, the gift of prayer. Through prayer, we have direct communication with the God of this universe, the God that created everything, that saved you, that made you, that did everything that we see. We have direct access to him through prayer. Let's go back to Ephesians 6. After Paul is done talking about all the different pieces of the armor of God, this is how he ends it, Ephesians six eighteen, praying at all times in the spirit with all prayer and supplication. To that end, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints. And you want to know what, what pulls together all the armor of God? It's prayer. Prayer. We need to spend time in prayer. Spend time in prayer. We need to spend, have these moments of extended time of prayer. Is that going to take, yeah, that's going to take a little work. Is it going to take rearranging your schedule? Yeah, it's going to take rearranging your schedule. We need to stay, not, not just have these long moments where like, man, I, you know, Travis, you tell me I got to pray for two hours every day. If you can, that'd be awesome. That'd be amazing. That'd be amazing. But I'm not foolish enough to think that we can all spend two hours in prayer, right? I get it. But what we need is this daily connection with God, this every moment of everyday connection, where sometimes it is just going to be a quick little prayer. Sometimes it's going to be, you know, five minutes or 10 minutes on your lunch break or, or 20 minutes in your car on the way home. It's going to be these little moments throughout the day. We need that. We need that. that. That's how we keep that communion, keep that fellowship with God. We need that every moment connection that comes through prayer. Worship. Worship is another means of grace. This, and when, I'm, when I say worship, what I'm specifically thinking of is when, when we sing to God, when we sing to God. All right, and look, praise the Lord that he doesn't say uh, make, make a beautiful noise to him because I'd be out, but we are to make a joyful noise. And sometimes mine is a noise. I get it. I get it. But that is so vital and so important for us. We need that moment of worship. 
But we need that. Like too often we just stay up here in the cerebral, right? We just, we just think a lot of things about God. We just build our head knowledge. Well, what worship does is it connects that head knowledge to our hearts. This is why all throughout the Bible we're commanded to sing and praise God. Because when we do that, it reminds us of who he is and what he's done for us. And we, when we're reminded of who God is and what he's done for us, it should make our hearts want to sing. It should make us want to praise him. I know this is crazy in a Baptist church to say this, but I'm going to do it anyways. It should make us want to raise our hands in worship and maybe even clap, y'all. Maybe even clap. I'm going to save that for another sermon because those are commands, all right? commands to raise your hand, lift your voice, to sing, and to dance. I know, sounds crazy, but it's in your Bible. We need that, y'all. We need that. We need this. That brings us closer to God. Community. Community. We need each other. This is an incredible blessing from God, the church, the body of Christ, because here's what happens when we're in relationship with other people, when we're in community with other people. When I'm weak, I can draw on your strength. You can come alongside me and encourage me and pray for me and lift me up and spur me on. And when you're weak, I can do the same thing for you. But if nobody knows who I am, where I'm at spiritually, how are they going to encourage me? We need each other. And this brings me to a perfect segue. Our community groups are launching this week, okay? If you have not signed up for a group, do that today. I'll announce how at the end of the sermon, but do that today. Get connected to community groups. We're launching this week. We need each other. Look, the world's going to throw a lot at us. We're going to have a lot of suffering and tribulation. It's like more on that in the next point. Paul promises, Jesus promises that. And the only way to persevere is to be strong in the Lord, to draw close to him. Because when we draw close to him, that's when he is bigger than whatever else we have going on. And we need that. Because our problems, our suffering, our difficulties are going to seem big. They're going to seem big. And if we want to persevere, Jesus got to be bigger. And always bigger is when we get close. I remember uh, we were driving. Um, I was in the car with the three kids. And uh, we live near this, uh, this, this small executive airport in Gwinnett County. So our house is kind of just in the flight path there. So the planes are constantly overhead. When you look up, I mean, you can see the plane from the sky, and our kids are like, oh, there's an airplane. It's great. And, and, but I remember this one time a few weeks ago, we, we were driving, and we were at a, at, a, at a stoplight right near the airport, like right where the, the runway is. I remember this, this big, like, nice, private, fancy jet just flew right over our car. I mean, it was, it was real close, and the kids were like, whoa, that's awesome. And I remember Livy going, Dad, that plane was so big. I was like, I know. Like, why is it so much bigger than the other planes that we see? I'm like, sweetie, it's not, it's not that it's any bigger. It's just it's, it's as close. We got close to it. So we saw how big it was. And that's how Jesus needs to be. If Jesus is going to be bigger than our problems, we got to draw close to him. we got to get close to Jesus so that he's bigger than anything else we have going on. All right, that's our first point. Perseverance requires strength. Second point. Perseverance comes through tribulation. Perseverance comes through tribulation. Go back to verse 22. Verse 22, again, it says, strengthening the souls of the disciples, encouraging them to continue in the faith. And, and this is how he encouraged them, by saying that through many tribulations we must enter the kingdom of God. How's that for encouragement? Keep going, because it's going to get really hard. There's going to be tribulations. 
to enter the kingdom of God. That, that phrase, kingdom of God, can mean a lot of things in Scripture. Here, most likely it means that, that it, Paul's pointing to our ultimate end, eternal life with Jesus. When we get to that point, getting to that point requires us to go through this life, which Paul says are going to be lots of tribulations, lots of tribulations. That word used for tribulations is the word flipsis. Flipsis, I tell you that because it's fun to say. Flipsis, no other reason. You don't need to know what the Greek word is, but it's fun to say, right? Flipsis. It's usually translated tribulation in your Bible. When we hear this, some of us might just automatically jump to left behind, the great tribulation, seven years, revelation, whatever we grew up learning. That is a whole other issue. I'm not even going to get into that. But we we can automatically go to that. We're like, oh, that's, that's the tribulation at the end times, right? That's what we mean. No, not always. Yes, that's part of it. That's coming at some point, yes. But we see tribulation referred to as, as what we go through in this life. All of us are going to face tribulation. It's exactly what Paul says here. We are going to face tribulation. And it's a word, flipsis, it's a, it's a word that originally meant pressure. And like, like extreme pressure. Think, think about the pressure that it takes to crush a car. That's flipsis. That's the pressure of tribulation. And again, it's a word that's used specifically not just for the everyday struggles in life. It's not just, oh, I got a flat tire today. Man, flipsis, tribulation, suffering for Jesus over here. Oh, that person stole my, my, my parking spot. Man, just suffering for Jesus over here, going through these tribulations. This is, what Paul, this is what Paul's talking about, right? These tribulations? No, no, that's just, you know, frustrating things that happen throughout the day. That's not what we're talking about. It's, it's typically used in connection with suffering for Jesus, and this is exactly what we see Paul go through, right? Like he's speaking from experience. When he says you're going to face tribulation, we're going to face pressure and flipsis, he's speaking from, from experience, right? We've already seen him run out of several towns throughout his missionary journey here. They planned to stone him in Iconium, and they actually followed through with that in Lystra, left him for dead. There was pressure on him at every moment to stop the mission, to stop preaching the gospel, to stop following God's call. And what did he do? He kept going. He persevered. Look, when we follow Jesus, there's going to be pressure. There's going to be tribulation. We talked about this last week, but one of the places that we, we face a lot of pressure is from Satan. We're going to face pressure from Satan. Look, he, he can't defeat Jesus. He already tried that and got his tail whooped. Like, he can't defeat Jesus. He can't harm Jesus. But what's he going to do? The next best thing to do if he can't harm Jesus, he's going to harm the people that he loves, and that's us. That's his church. He's coming for us. He's coming with all his schemes. He wants to, to bring us away from God. He gives us pressure to, uh, to tempt us to sin, to compromise, to live in any way that's not living for Jesus. And look, just so you know, the closer we get to Jesus, the bigger target we have on our backs. We need to prepare ourselves for that. We're going to face pressure from Satan. We're going to face pressure from the world. Right? We see this all the time. We're going to face cultural pressure to compromise our beliefs all the time all the time. I mean, maybe you feel that at your job. Maybe, maybe your job pressures you to, to do something dishonest or just, yeah, just, just lie a little bit. Oh, just fluff the edges. It's fine. It's no big deal. Or maybe I was talking to, to somebody a couple weeks ago and, and their job is, is now not just, you know, agreeing with some of the cultural things that are out there, the cultural ethics that are out there that go against scripture. Now they're not just agreeing with it. They're, they're now actively promoting it and encouraging it and, and their employees are now going to have to start doing that. And this guy's caught in a hard spot. He loves his job, loves working there, feels used by the Lord, but in good conscience, he can't go out and support the things that his company wants to support. I mean, there's pressure there. There's pressure. And look, the, the further our culture moves away from any sort of biblical idea, any sort of biblical ethic here, 
Like the more we, we get away from that as a culture, the more pressure we're gonna face to hold tightly to the beliefs that we have in scripture. We need to prepare ourselves for that. The more we hold tightly to scripture, the more outcast, ridiculed, the more pressure we're gonna face. And we face pressure from, from our, own, our own pride and selfish desires. Right? Sometimes we can be our own worst enemies, right? Sometimes we can be our own worst enemy when it comes to following Jesus. So we see these clear commands in Scripture. We see these things in Scripture where Jesus is like, hey, do this. And we just go, I'd rather not. I'd rather not. No, I'm good. I'm good. And why is that? Because, because it's hard. Because it's uncomfortable. Because it, it makes us look weird or it's too much of a sacrifice. I get it. That's our, that's our pride and our selfish desires getting in the way of following Jesus. We're adding flipses to our lives. We're adding tribulation to our lives. How often do we see a clear command in Scripture and we go, ah, I'm good. No thanks. I'll let somebody else do that. We need to ask ourselves hard questions. When we see clear commands in Scripture and we choose not to obey, we choose to disregard that and do something else, we need to ask ourselves, why? Why are we doing that? Why are we rejecting the things of Jesus to follow something else? Why are we doing that? We will face pressure in this life. We will face tribulation in this life. So how do we persevere? How do we persevere? I want to go to Jesus' words to a church in Revelation chapter 2. So in Revelation chapter 2, he's writing to uh, one of these churches, the church of Smyrna. In in Revelation 2, starting in in verse 8, going through verse 11, he writes this. These are Jesus' words to this church. He says, And to the angel of the church in Smyrna write, The words of the first and the last who died and came to life, I know your tribulation, I know your thlipsis, and your poverty, but you are rich. And the slander of those who say that they are Jews and are not, but are a synagogue of Satan. Do not fear what you are about to suffer. Behold, the devil is about to throw some of you into prison that you may be tested, and for 10 days you will have tribulation. Be faithful unto death. And I will give you the crown of life. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. The one who conquers will not be hurt by the second death. Now, if you were to study what was going on at the church in Smyrna at this time, we don't have time to get into it, but you can look it up. They, they were facing intense extreme persecution from the culture around them, from the Roman culture, from the Jewish people that are, I mean, Jesus says the synagogue there is a synagogue for Satan. That's pretty bad. That's pretty bad. This church knows what tribulation is. They knew what pressure was, pressure to compromise, pressure to go against Jesus. And Jesus says, I know your tribulation. I see your tribulation. And guess what? There's going to be more. More is coming. Jesus tells this church, I see your tribulation and more is coming. The devil, he's about to throw some of you in prison. Some of you are going to die for your faith. And what's Jesus' words to this church? Be faithful. Be faithful. Be faithful unto death. His call to this church facing intense persecution with more coming is to persevere. It's to persevere. And how are they to do that? They're to look to Jesus. 
to look to Jesus. He is the first and the last. He has died and was raised from the dead. He is alive and reigning. When we go through tribulation, we need to look to Jesus and remind ourselves that he's in control of all of it. He's in control of all of it. He tells this church, hey, your tribulation is going to be for 10 days. Now, that, that doesn't necessarily mean 10 exact days. What that does mean is there's an expiration date on their tribulation, and that is set by Jesus. It will not last forever. Now look, the reality is some of us, that 10 days is going to be our life here on this earth. But it doesn't last forever. Because when we persevere, when we keep going, not only are we looking to Jesus, we're looking to what's promised to us, and that is eternal life and complete perfection with Jesus. We get the crown of life. We won't be hurt by the second death. Those are all phrases to remind us of the good that is coming, the good that is promised to us by Jesus, that at the end of this life, there will be no more tribulation, there will be no more pressure, there will be no more ellipsis, no more pain, no more suffering. We'll be in complete perfection with Jesus for all eternity. So to get through this life, we gotta look to Jesus, we gotta look to what's promised, what's coming, and remind ourselves This is only for a season. This is only for a moment. And even if it persists my entire life, this is the closest to hell that I will ever get. If we have Jesus, we have that promise. So perseverance requires strength. Perseverance comes through tribulation. And the third thing we see here is perseverance grows through moment by moment faithfulness. Perseverance grows by through moment by moment faithfulness. So unfortunately, we can't just skip ahead to the end, right? We can't just fast forward through this life and get to the end. We can't just skip ahead and all of a sudden we wake up one day and now we have all the strength that we need and all the perseverance that we need. No, it, it comes like, like with all things in life, right? If we want to grow in something, we want to get better at something, what does it take? It takes practice and time. Same with perseverance. The way we grow in perseverance is we take it moment by moment, season by season. We ask ourselves constantly, what does faithfulness to Jesus look like right here, right now? What does faithfulness look like in this moment, in this season? What does it look like to follow Jesus, to persevere with Jesus right here, right now? And we do that. And we do it the next time, and the next time, and the next time. That's how we develop perseverance. That's how we grow in perseverance. The Bible talks about uh, the Christian life as a race, as a race. Um, I don't know if maybe some of you guys run. I wouldn't recommend it. I know they say it's healthy, but it's, it's really not. It's, not. it's not fun, nor is it good for you. But uh, for those that do, for those that do exercise, you know, how, how, do we, how do we run a race? How do we run a race? We can't just skip ahead and fast forward to the end, right? No, we got to take it step by step, mile by mile until we get to the end. And that, that's how Scripture sees our Christian life, is it's, it's a race that we're running. To run that race, we got to take it step by step, mile by mile, moment by moment, season by season. Paul describes it this way in, in Philippians chapter 3. He says this in verse 12 of Philippians 3. Not that I've already obtained this or am already perfect, but I press on to make it my own because Christ Jesus has made me his own. 
Brothers, I do not consider that I have made it on my own. But one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. How do we live this life? We press forward. We keep going. We stay faithful to Jesus right here, right now. This is exactly what we see from Paul, right? He kept going. Ran out of one town, man, on to the next. Stoned in one place, boom, right back up and goes straight into the city. Life is threatened, keep preaching the gospel. I love what it says in Iconium when, when, the, when the, uh, the, the opposition comes, right? When they said that they were poisoning the minds of the people there. What does it say about Paul? He stayed for many days. He stayed for many days. No matter what opposition came, kept going. He followed Jesus no matter what. And this is how we endure. This is how we persevere. This is how we walk faithfully with Jesus as we follow him wherever he leads, however he leads. When there's pressure and tribulation, we follow him. Even when it doesn't make sense, we follow him. Even if we would have chosen something else, even if we would have made a different decision, we follow him. That's how we persevere. How do I stay faithful in this moment, in this season? I mean, think about those things. Let's go back to those clear commands that we talked about in Scripture, those clear things that we see in Scripture that we're not walking in obedience to for whatever reason. Let's go back to that. What is that one thing, that one area that you've been disobeying Christ in, that one area that you've been putting off or delaying? You know that Jesus has called you this. You know that he's asked you to do this, and you've been putting it off. You've been delaying it for whatever reason it is. What's that area in your life? What's that thing in life? Maybe it's getting connected to community because you're scared to open yourself up and be vulnerable. I get that. It's not fun. It's good for us, though. Maybe it's sharing the gospel. I mean, how, how, how many you guys are probably tired of me talking about preaching the gospel to people, sharing the gospel, talking about witnessing and sharing your faith? Sorry, it's all over the book of Acts. I'm going to preach the word of God the way it comes, all right? But maybe, just maybe, it's in there because we need to grow in that. We talk about that every week. How, how, you know, just look back over the last nine. We've been in Acts since the end of January, and it's mid-September, and we're halfway through Book of Acts. All right, we'll get through it eventually, I promise. We talk about this every single week. When's the last time we actually shared our faith, though? When's the last time we actually invited somebody to come to church with us? That's a clear command in Scripture. Are we walking in obedience to it? So what are these areas what are these areas that are clear commands in Scripture that we're called to follow Jesus, we're called to walk in obedience to, and we're just not? How do we stay faithful to Jesus? We walk in obedience in those areas. We say, I'm not putting it off anymore. I'm not delaying this anymore, Jesus. I'm following you. I'm going with you. I'm going to press forward. I'm going to continue on. I'm going to persevere so in order to live for Jesus, we, we've got we've to stay faithful to him in this life. We need perseverance. We need endurance. We need strength. Just like Paul in Acts 14 here. He continued on, and he calls us to continue in the faith. And the last thing I'll give you is the, is the only way we can actually do this, the only way we can really persevere in this life 
is through God's love for us. It's because of his love for us. Our endurance, our perseverance flows from God's enduring love for us. It's the, the wind that, that propels our boat forward. They, that, yeah, it's the wind in our sails that keeps us going. It's God's enduring love for us. There's this phrase that, that's repeated throughout your Bibles. It's God's steadfast love endures forever. His steadfast love, his forever love for us endures forever, keeps going, doesn't stop, doesn't quit ever. No matter what we do, no matter how often we feel, no matter how often we stumble, God's steadfast love endures forever. It endures forever, and that is what propels us forward. That's what keeps us going. It's God's love for us. And the Old Testament, we'll probably preach to it at some point, but in the Old Testament, there's this, this crazy story of how God demonstrates just how much he loves us. And it comes from the prophet Hosea. If you, if you know Hosea's story, you know where I'm about to go with this. But Hosea was a prophet to the nation of Israel, and God called him to marry a prostitute. A prostitute named Gomer, of all names. Terrible name, awful name. Married a prostitute named Gomer, and here's the thing about Gomer. And here's the thing that God told Hosea that he should prepare himself for. Gomer's not going to leave her old life behind. She's not going to marry you and all of a sudden stop being a prostitute. No, she's going to continue on. She's going to continue remaining unfaithful to you, Hosea. And what does God call Hosea to do? Stay. Stay with her. Keep going. Stay committed to a woman that will never be committed to you. And there's this point in Hosea chapter 3, they've, they've gotten married, they've had kids together, but, but Gomer has gone back to her old life, so much so that she's not even living in the house with Hosea. She's gone back to the people that she used to work for, that she used to be with, and in order to get her back, somebody would have to, have to pay for her to come back. And here's what God calls Hosea to do. Hosea chapter 3 verse 1, he says, go again, Hosea. Go again to your wife. Go and get her back. Go again to a woman who will not love you back, to a woman who will not stay faithful to you. Go again. Now, why does God say to do that? Because that's what he does for us. That's what he does for us. He goes again. He goes and gets you back. We mess up today, he goes again. We mess up tomorrow, he goes again. We mess up the next day and the next day and the next day and the next day. And what does he do? He goes again and again and again and again because his love for us endures forever. He says, I'm not leaving you. I'm not forsaking you. I'm not turning your back on you no matter how often you do that to me. I'm staying with you. It's through that love based on that foundation that we live for Jesus, that we persevere for him. God's steadfast love for us endures forever. Follower of Jesus, if you say, yes, I've put my faith in Jesus, Travis, I trust in him. As we end today, I want you to think, will, will I walk in this love? Will I persevere with Jesus? Will I continue in the faith? Will I say yes to these areas that, that I've been putting off, that I've been rejecting, that I've been living in disobedience? Will I finally walk in faithfulness to Jesus? I hope you will. I hope, I hope that this reminder of God's love will, will push you forward towards that.
Now, if you're here and you don't know Jesus, say, Travis, I've never put my faith in Jesus first. I'm, I'm thankful that you're here. I want you to keep coming. This is a safe place. I want you to know that God's love is offered to you as well. And look, it's the only love that will offer you this kind of acceptance, that will offer you this kind of endurance and perseverance that won't turn its back on you when you fail and stumble and mess up. It's the only love that will give you forgiveness, that will give you the promise of eternal life. And all that's asked for us is to respond in faith to Jesus, to put our faith in him by saying, yes, Jesus, I'm a gomer. I've sinned, I've messed up, I've done the things that you said not to do. I deserve punishment, I deserve wrath, but I'm asking you to save me. I'm asking you to forgive me. And we turn to him in faith and trust, he does. He forgives us of everything, past, present, future sins, all forgiven by Jesus. Slate is wiped clean. If you wanna do that today, I'll pray in a moment. You can just say exactly those words or something along those lines to Jesus. I know I'm a sinner. I'm turning in you. If you want to talk more about that, I'll be standing in the back. I'd love to talk to you. I'd love to pray with you, answer any questions you might have about this. But, but don't, don't, don't leave today without putting your faith in Jesus. Let today be the day of your salvation. The Christian in the room, we're, we're going to do what we do every single Sunday. I'm going to pray. The band's going to come back up here, and we're going to enter into a time of worship and communion so this is a time for believers in the room. This is an opportunity for us to, uh, believers, I just want to encourage you to take, take this time to, to spend a moment in prayer. Maybe you need to spend some time repenting of sin. Maybe there is that, that area, that glaring area that you know God's calling you to, that you know he's given a clear command in it and you just just not doing it. Come back to him. Turn back to him. That's the beauty of repentance. Jesus is always right there, arms wide open to welcome us back in. Turn to him. Maybe you spend some time in prayer, repenting of sin. Maybe you need to spend some time in your seat just worshiping Jesus. And then as you're ready, believer in the room, we go to the tables on either side. We take the cup, we take the bread, we eat and we drink and we remember Jesus' sacrifice on the cross. We remember his salvation. Let's pray. Jesus, we thank you for who you are, Lord. We thank you for your love. We thank you for your grace and your mercy, Lord. I thank you for the salvation that you alone provide. Lord, I pray that this would be an encouragement, just dwelling on and thinking about how much you love us, of all the things that you've done for us. Lord, I pray that that would strengthen us today. I pray that you would strengthen us by the truth of your gospel. Lord, that you gave your life for ours, and that when we respond to you, Lord, we give you our life because it's only in you that we truly find life, Jesus. So strengthen us, Lord. Help us continue in the faith. Help us to persevere, Lord. No matter what may come, Lord, let us draw close to you. Let us fix our eyes on you, Jesus. We ask all this in your powerful name. Amen.